Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter number 26. We're kind of in a couple of weeks here where uh, we're not in a series just because of the way that my schedule has fallen and holiday schedules have fallen. Next week being Father's Day. Uh, of course, we'll have a message there that will be appropriate too. We'll actually have a guest speaker next Sunday. Uh, we have missionary Matt Cook to Australia that will be with us all day next Sunday. And so we'll look forward to hearing from him. And so some of you that are new at a church, you may have never seen a missionary before. Uh, and so and if, you, if you've been in uh, Baptist churches, particularly our kind of a church, that's kind of hard to, to fathom because we see missionaries on a regular basis. Uh, but if some of you are new enough to the church that this may be the first time you've ever seen a, a real uh, live missionary. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited for you to get to meet one. Uh, he's not going to be able to bring his family. His wife will be 10 days from her due date with her next child. Uh, and so he's going to fly down just on, by himself and uh, as they get ready to go to the country of Australia. But we'll look forward to spending some time with him uh, on next Sunday. He'll have a display in the back. He'll have a presentation to show uh, what God has, what has called them to do and, and share with us that. Australia is a unique country in that you can't go there as a missionary unless you have a church there that's willing to sponsor you that's already established. Uh, and so it creates a, its own kind of a, of a, of a challenge. But uh, praise the Lord, there are several churches there that are willing to sponsor new missionaries coming in to get churches planted. Uh, and so you pray for him as he, as he comes in next weekend. But Second Chronicles chapter number 26, and we're going to, we're going to look uh, at several verses of this this morning, really the whole chapter. But we're just going to read the first five verses as we get started this morning. Uh, the thought for our text this morning really comes from verse number five. Uh, and so... It'll take a little bit of explaining, and then we see it play out in this king's life. Uh, but in Second Chronicles chapter 26, beginning here in verse number 1, we see that all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth, and he restored it to Judah. And after that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding and visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You should notice that really is our, our thought this morning. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And I want to speak this morning on this thought simply, as long as I seek the Lord. And let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for, the, again, the opportunity to come together. Pray that you give us in each one in our hearts what we need. If anyone's here that's never trusted you as Savior, Lord, may today uh, they place their faith and trust in you. Uh, Lord, uh, may we be obedient as you speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, and amen. Seeking the Lord. Now I want you to understand right off the bat this morning, we are not in the same dispensation that this king was in. And so there are things uh, that applied to him that don't necessarily work and function in the same way in the age that we're in. But there are a lot of principles here that we can draw from that we can understand. You have to understand too, God here is speaking to a king. And I'm going to share some verses about seeking the Lord where God is speaking to a king or uh, in, in uh, one case, it's a father speaking to his son. Uh, and so the, the idea of 
God forsaking his children is, we know that he doesn't do that. Hebrews 13, 5, say, he told us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you have to understand when he talks about forsaking in this context, he's not talking about as an individual, a personal relationship, but rather their position as king, their authority as king, their establishment uh, as the king of Israel. For example, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, uh, in verse number 9, David is speaking to Solomon. He says, and thou Solomon, my son, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. And so what's he saying to Solomon? He's not saying, Solomon, if you put your faith and trust in the Messiah, uh, that he's going to remove your salvation. There are some that would teach that. Uh, that's not biblically accurate when you look at the context of Scripture. But as far as his appointment as leading the nation of Israel, we saw that play out. When he sought the Lord, they were very prosperous. He was very, well, very wise. Uh, when he allowed himself to drift off uh, and to compromise in his life and his walk with God and his relationship with God, when he let his multiple wives turn his heart to idol worship, uh, then he was not blessed of God in the same manner. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and 2, it says, And he, he being Azariah, who was a prophet of that time, uh, went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, uh, they're getting ready for battle. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Again, we're talking about going into battle. Uh, but when you're with the Lord, he's with you. If you forsake him, he's going to forsake you on the battlefield. Uh, and so Psalm 119 and verse 2 uh, tells, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. There is blessing and there's empowerment whenever we seek the Lord. Uh, and then so, or Hebrews 11:6, the verse that we all pretty much know here, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, and so Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 6 and 7, he put it this way. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Uh, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will... Uh, he will abundantly pardon. And then, of course, Hebrews 13, 5, which I mentioned already, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we understand the principle here. The principle is this, there, there is uh, that when, when we seek the Lord, he's found of us. The Lord is always seeking for us. He's always reaching out to us. When we seek him, he makes a revelation of himself in a different way. Uh, but pastor, what about whenever I stumble, when I'm in sin, when I turn my back on him? He may, he may be harder for you to detect, but he's always there. Amen. He never leaves you. Uh, but that doesn't mean that as a father that loves corrects his child that he won't bring some discipline, some chastening into your life. And we see that in Uzziah's life here uh, this morning as we, as we look. And so just as a principle this morning, what I really want us to get this morning is that, listen, when I seek the Lord, I see the Lord in a different way. And God's real in my life. And God helps me with struggles in my life. And when I don't, 
it's not that God has abandoned me, but that help's not available in the same way. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's some problems. God's there. He loves me. He cares for me. But I'm getting in the way uh, from him doing what, <coughs> what he can and what he wants to do in my life. Uh, and so when we look here, uh, we just realized this morning, I think everyone here wants to be prosperous. Whatever it is that we set out to do, I want to be prosperous as a pastor. I hope that whatever job you have, uh, that you take it seriously and you want to excel at your job. I think every Christian uh, should be the best person at their job at what they do, uh, at least in their habits and their work habits and the way that they uh, present themselves, carry themselves. A Christian ought to be on time. Uh, a Christian ought to, uh, to, to show up for work. A Christian ought to work while he's on the clock and uh, give an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. And uh, A Christian ought to kind of lead the pack. I'm not saying necessarily that, hey, a Christian should always be ascending to uh, positions of leadership. Some people are cut out for that. Some are not. It's never been part of my makeup to just kind of, kind of sit stagnant. Uh, it's, I've never been one that's just like, hey, you know, I, I don't want to mess and deal with all of the, uh, the headaches of leadership. Uh, and so, Pastor, there are headaches in leadership? You have no idea. Uh, and so, uh, but I, I've always just been kind of wired to where I embrace that. That's my thrive zone. That's what I love to do. Uh, my stepfather, on the other hand, was, was the guy that worked very hard. He always worked and did over and above uh, what was required, but he did not want in any way, shape, or form uh, the position of leadership. He wanted to punch the clock. He wanted to work uh, hard all day and he wanted to punch out and leave it there and forget about it. Uh, but when you're a leader, you can't forget about it. It goes home with you. Uh, it's hard sometimes to keep it from filtering into life uh, and where it doesn't belong. But, uh, but the, you know, that's just part of life. But, but we, we want to succeed. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good grandfather. I want to be a good husband. I want to excel at those things. If you're teaching a class, a Sunday school class this morning, uh, I hope that you desire to excel at what you do. If you're uh, working in the vans and uh, finding people and bringing them to church, I, I hope you, your desire is to excel uh, in those things. And I think most of us uh, want to be successful. We want to, to prosper. We don't want to be a failure. Uh, and so we, we want to do well. And so in this story, in the Old Testament, we see a very prosperous king. With prosperity comes some dangers. There come some pitfalls. Uh, there come some, some, some traps that uh, Satan sets for us. And, uh, and so when we look here, we see uh, again that he says that he's prosperous because he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord is always a good idea. Uh, but he doesn't finish well. And, and we'll see in the story this morning, <coughs> excuse me, as it develops. And we're going to read some of the verses. We're not going to read out for sake of time the entire, uh, the entire passage. But I am going to tell you. So if you want to read it, make sure I'm telling you the truth. I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, it's always good to go back and reread things. And, uh, but, but here's the, the bottom line. Uziah ascends the throne at the, at, the, at the ripe old age of 16. And he reigns for 52 years. So he has a long kingship. Uh, but he doesn't have an extremely long life. Uh, and so in his early days, he's seeking the Lord. He's doing that which is right. Uh, and we see that develop and we see God doing things. And so uh, God blesses him and making him to prosper. Now, don't mistake this for a verse that espouses some kind of a prosperity gospel that if you seek God, you're going to be a millionaire. Okay? 
That, that's not biblical. That's never biblical. Uh, that's not, I know there are a lot of preachers out there that you can watch on TV and that you can uh, find their books in the bookstore that will teach that, but that's not what God teaches. When he says prosper, he just simply means to bless. In other words, uh, he'll, he'll empower you to do his will. Uh, he'll meet your needs. Uh, he'll prosper your relationships. If you, uh, for example, as a pastor, I want to forge uh, relationships. I have, I have a neighbor. I see him out. I say he's a neighbor. He lives about a couple of blocks down the road. Uh, and so, but I was out walking this week and uh, I'm, I'm going by and typically uh, whenever I'm, I'm walking, I just wave at him and he waves and uh, he's, he's a Puerto Rican couple. And so there's kind of that connection there because of my wife and we've, uh, we've talked about things just in passing here and there, but we've never really had a prolonged, protracted conversation. And so I'm, I'm walking by and, and I'm, I'm hitting my mile mark and right off the front door of his house, a little cul-de-sac. And so I usually, uh, his driveway is about the, the, the mile mark whenever I'm, I'm walking. Uh, and so I hit it and he's working on a car and he's been working on that car for a couple days. He's a welder by trade. Uh, and so I, I go by and I wave and, uh, and uh, I had, I was listening to a book. So I took uh, an ear pod out, an earbud out and, uh, and uh, said, hey Vic, how you doing this morning? And he said, I said, you trade your torch in for a wrench? And he laughed and he said, he said, no. And he said, welder's rig was still there. And, uh, he said, but I'm working on this car. He said, it's, it's uh, he said, have you ever seen uh, a, a, a cylinder engine? Uh, and so, uh, and it, it's, it's not a, it's not a piston driven engine. Uh, and I said, no. And he said, come take a look. And so uh, I went in there and looked and about 40 minutes later, I was on my way uh, and just uh, a, a long conversation. What am I looking for there? I'm looking for God to prosper that relationship so that at some point in the future, there'll be an opportunity to present the gospel. Uh, and so I didn't want to uh, push the issue. Uh, and so, and God just blesses uh, those types of things. And, uh, and we've watched them since before we even bought our house, we were knocking doors in the neighborhood. And uh, that's how we found our house. We were knocking doors in the neighborhood, trying to invite people to church and uh, came across our house there a couple months before we were ready to start looking. And, uh, and at that time, uh, we, we, I knocked on his door, we met, we talked just briefly and I just, the Lord helped me remember his name and helped me, uh, you know, and I, I didn't uh, get an opportunity to present the gospel yet, but I had an opportunity to build the relationship a little bit say, man, we need to get together with our, our wives and, uh, and just, uh, you know, have some, uh, have conversation and maybe have a cup of coffee or something. He's like, yeah, that'd be great. And, uh, and they're getting ready to go. So we talked about things that are going on in the island and, and then he said, oh, I got something for you. So he goes and grabs his shoe box. It's got the Puerto Rican flag all around it. And, uh, Sonia got a pair of tennis shoes out of the deal, uh, with a Puerto Rican flag on it. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and so her feet need to grow about two sizes before they'll fit. So it'll probably end up with one of the daughters, although she's trying to figure out how many pairs of socks she has to put on to make them fit. Uh, and so, so she can wear them. Uh, but it's just, I want God to prosper that. I want God to prosper that relationship. I want God to prosper our relationships as a church with one another. So prosperity is not prosperity gospel in the form of, hey, God's going to make you rich. It's God's going to uh, bless the endeavors that you make uh, for his help and for his uh, movement and empowerment. Uh, and so when we look here and what we see is going on in Uzziah, God prospered him because he had God's help. Notice in verse number seven, uh, he said, and God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in Gerubal uh, and the Mahunims. Uh, and so he's got to go into battle. He's got a problem. Uh, he has got to uh, engage the enemy 
And God's blessing him. God is prospering him. And so there are some things as he's seeking the Lord that God's helping him do. So he finds God's help. When you seek the Lord, you'll find God's help. And so he has a problem and, uh, and in verse 7 he finds God's help. Not only that, he finds God's blessing. I want you to notice in verse number 8. He says, And the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name was spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. So what's going on here? He's, he's taking his position. He has enemies. He's building a strong defense. He's gaining a reputation for victory uh, because God has blessed him. He's won battles over the Philistines. So now the Amorites are coming. They don't want war with Israel at the, or Judah at this point. So they're basically coming, bringing uh, and, and paying tribute so that they can maintain peace. <coughs> and so why? Because God is blessing him. And when we seek the Lord, we find God's help. When we seek the Lord, we find God's blessing. Uh, then he took and he builds an infrastructure of Christian living. In verses 9 through 11, you see what he does. And, uh, and we won't take time to read all of that, but he builds towers. He builds um, uh, engines, it says. Uh, that being a catapult or a trebuchet uh, kind of a device that would hurl stones and, uh, like a catapult. But uh, to, to fight and to wage war and to do the things that he had to do. And so what's he doing? He's, he's building his infrastructure. He's securing the city. He's strengthening uh, his, his uh, fortifications. Essentially, the application to our lives is that uh, in our time, I want to build the, the infrastructure of my walk with God. I want, to, I want to build my relationship with him. I want to be yielded to him. I want to strengthen my faith in him. I want to, uh, I, I want to when you talk in terms of, of, of attacks from Satan and spiritual warfare, what you're really dealing with is Satan wanting to gain authority to get inside uh, so that he can uh, wreak havoc within your life and be problematic. And, uh, and the Bible says that he builds strongholds. And when he builds those strongholds, that's like, uh, it was just the anniversary of D-Day uh, here this last week, just a few days ago. And you think about those big concrete structures that were built on the cliffs overlooking Normandy that had to be taken. Those are strongholds. And Satan wants to set up and build strongholds in, uh, in the life of even believers so that, uh, so that it's hard for God to work and to have uh, free reign in your life. And, uh, and so what, what the Christian ought to be doing today is I, I want to be building towers. I want to be building towers of truth of God's word and principles of, uh, of godly living in a relationship and a strength with God. Uh, and so I want to be investing in my life and my walk with God in those ways. And so, listen, he, he's building that infrastructure. And because of that, he's prepared. Notice in verse number 14, it says, And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all, his, all the host shields and spears and helmets and habergeons and bows and, uh, and slings to cast stones. And so he's, he's prepared. You know, most of the time that we succumb to an attack of the enemy, especially if you've been walking with God for a while, it's because something caught you unprepared. We're in trouble when we're unprepared. Most problems, even big problems, uh, we can handle with some grace and uh, in a way that honors the Lord when we, when we know they're there, when we can put some prayer and thought into it before it comes upon us. Uh, and so we, 
may not always get the desired outcome, but we can, uh, we can go to solve a problem or address an issue uh, that's difficult in a way uh, that gives it the best opportunity for the Lord to work in the person's heart that you're dealing with uh, from a pastoral leadership standpoint. Uh, and, and those types of things, generally, uh, you can be satisfied with the outcome uh, as far as handling things in the right way. Where real problems come is when something blindsides you and you don't see it coming. And the same way is true just in the practical Christian life. Hey, when you, can, when you know that the devil's tempting you in a certain area and you understand your weakness and uh, you can put up and, and be prepared uh, to fend that off. But when things have been going good for a while and when you really haven't struggled with a particular issue for a while and then all of a sudden this massive attack of temptation comes in that area of your life, uh, then, then that's, uh, it, it takes you off guard. And it manifests itself different ways to different people. Uh, for ladies, it may be in areas of depression. Uh, for men, it may be in areas areas of pornography and, and, and lustful thinking and thought and things like that. Uh, for many, it might be alcohol or uh, things of that nature. And you've been doing great for a while and you haven't been depressed and you've uh, you've been staying pure in your thought life and your mind and you've been uh, and you've been uh, you know walking and doing the things that you know that you should do and and everything's been going good and you've been staying away from uh, the the substances that can so easily take over your life. But then all of a sudden you have a bad moment and and the onslaught comes and it seems like the attack comes from every side and you, you, you let your guard down because it had been a while, you're in trouble. And that's what happens here to Uzziah. Uzziah comes to a point, notice in verse number 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. So the problem is, is that he, he got confident in himself. He became a good king and he became a powerful king, and he became uh, an, an, an adversary of the things of God, or not an adversary, but an advocate of the things of God, because God, he sought the Lord, and God helped him, and God blessed him, and he made preparation. But when he got powerful, when he got comfortable, he let his guard down, and he was in trouble. Well, what's his great transgression? His great transgression is not something that most of us in the way that we think about things today would even think was that big of a deal. You have to understand in their worship in the temple at this point, there were certain things uh, and certain places that you could not go unless it was your area to be. For example, <coughs> in the temple and in the tabernacle, when you, when you talk about the, the main area of worship in the temple, now in the temple, in Solomon's temple in particular, uh, you've, got, you've got bigger areas. Uh, you've got more than just what the tabernacle was. But the, the, all the things in the tabernacle are in a section of Solomon's temple. And so he's got different courts and different things that were there that everybody can kind of traverse through. Uh, but when it came to worship, there was what was at the tabernacle. There was, uh, there was when you entered, there was the, the altar. Then right behind the altar was the laver. Uh, then behind that was the holy places, uh, which was comprised of, of one rectangular structure uh, that was divided into two parts. The first two parts of it were, uh, were the holy place and the back part was called and known as the holy of holies. Uh, and in the holy place, on the right-hand side, when you walked in, was the table of showbread. Uh, and on the left-hand side was the lampstand. And in the back, against the veil, uh, was, uh, was the altar of incense. And then in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. 
And the Ark of the Covenant represented the, 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 the presence of God uh, in their midst. And so uh, whenever you went into that, you could not, just the average citizen could not go into the outer courtyard. The head of a household could go into the outer courtyard to make an atonement sacrifice because the head of the household had to be the one that slew the sacrifice. Uh, and the family stood at the entrance and watched the sacrifice of that animal uh, on their behalf to cover their sin for the year. Uh, and so uh, in order to work in that area, you had to be a priest. But even amongst the priests, not just any priest could go into the holy place. Uh, the holy place, the priests that ministered in the holy place were drawn by, by lots and they rotated in different shifts uh, in and out of their duties in the holy place. And so they would go in and they would change the bread and the oil that was on the table of showbread that represented uh, God's blessing and God's provision. Uh, and even the oil represented the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, in the New Testament age. Uh, and then on the left with the lampstand, they had to fill the oil. A lot of times it's called a candlestick. But there, there was not a, in the way that we think of a candlestick, there were no wax candles at that time in history. Uh, and, and so when you look at the construction of the candlestick, it had knops on the top of each branch, which was to hold the oil that burned. So it's more appropriate to think of it as a lampstand because they had to fill the oil. So that priest would go in and they would do those duties. They would take a censer and they would put incense on the altar of incense uh, to, to symbolize the prayer of God's people going up. And then it would spill into uh, the veil, over the veil, into the presence of God. And so the veil was there because there was that, that sin that separates us from God uh, without Christ. And, uh, and so when Jesus was crucified, uh, then the veil was torn in two because it's all taken care of. And praise God for that. Uh, but the Ark of the Covenant, only the high priest could go in there. And even the high priest could only go in there one day a year. No one else could go in there. So this is a very sacred and yes, it's very religious and ritualistic and it's all of the things uh, that, that Jesus fulfilled that we really, that, that destroy lives today. But in their case, it was a different time. And so, <coughs> so this is what happened. Uzziah gets a little full of himself and things he wants to, he wants to do some praying. And so he takes the censer and he goes into the holy place, which he was not allowed he should have not even been in the courtyard, but he bypasses the altar. He won't go in the courtyard and, and, and he's not supposed to be in there. And if he wasn't supposed to be in the courtyard, he's really not supposed to be in the holy place. And he goes in the holy place to burn incense. Not his responsibility, not right for him to be there. Now I want you to notice that the priests take a stand against the king. And so this is treacherous ground for them. Uh, and notice again in verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went after, in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord. So 80 other priests go in with him to rebuke the king. And so they're there, uh, and, he's, and Uriah to burn incense to the Lord, but the priests, the sons of Aaron, uh, that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord thy God. So up to this point, he sought the Lord, and God has honored him. God has helped him. God has prepared him. God has blessed him. Okay? But at this point, now he has an opportunity. He's done wrong. 
And God in his mercy still gives him an opportunity to repent. The priests come in to rebuke him. He's the king. How dare you rebuke me? And I want you to notice his response in verse number 19 and then God's response. And Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. So here, get this picture. He's in this area he's not supposed to be. 81 priests flood in before him to rebuke his action. And he's got the censer in his hand. And they're saying, King, this is not where you're supposed to be. This is the duty of the priest. This is holy place. This is, God has ordained this. And rather than saying, you know, you're right, I'm wrong, I repent, and going out and finding forgiveness and mercy, he gets angry. And when he does, God smites him with leprosy. And for the rest of his life, he lived with leprosy. And his dependent upon self, instead of seeking the Lord, turned things in his life. Now, I'm not going to say to you this morning that if you disobey God in such a way, take management, that God's going to smite you with some disease like leprosy. But I will say that God will chasten us as a father chastens his children that he loves when we're disobedient to him. And so don't miss that. And so again in verse 20, and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out. So now he's on the run. They, they, they thrust him out, but they really didn't have to urge him too much. He went out quickly on his own. I mean, he's like, oh, what's happening to me? Uh, and so, <coughs> Uzziah the, and Uzziah the king in verse 21 was a leper until the day of his death and dwelt in a several house. In other words, a different house, a separate house. He, dealt, he lived and dwelt in a several house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, uh, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial, which belongeth to the kings. For they said, He is a leper, and Jotham his son reigned in his stead. So I get the picture here. He's a young man, 16. His father did well. He follows in those footsteps. He honors the Lord. He seeks the Lord. God prospers him. God blesses him. God empowers him. God gives him honor. He gets to thinking, hey, I'm okay. I've got this. I can do this on my own. And when he does, he starts to act in a way that displeases God. And when he acts in a way that displeases God, God's judgment falls upon him. God's trying to get him to come back. But he's hardened. And so... He responds wrongly when his opportunity came. So what's the lesson there? Well, the lesson here simply is quickly this. And I realize the hour. I'm going to give you the points of this message very, very quickly because it's really just all application. This is really just a very simple look at this. Uh, when you look at it, he did wrong. God gave him an opportunity to repent. He refused it. And then problems came. And I would say this this morning. I'm grateful today that we live in the age of grace because we generally get many more than one opportunities for God to speak to our heart and for us to respond correctly. And praise God for that. He got one. But here's the thing. I don't know how many I get. And you don't know how many you get. 
If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I die today, I go to heaven, but I really feel something tugging in my heart that's drawing me to God, don't blow that off this morning because you're not guaranteed to ever feel that or experience that in your heart and your life again. I, you probably will because God's merciful and God's great and he's gracious, but there's no guarantee. If you're a Christian this morning and you've got things in your life that you're struggling with, and God's really rebuking you and convicting you in your heart about that. Not even necessarily as a result of a particular sermon, but just over the course of time as you are seeking him and you're learning him. And that conviction comes in upon you and the guilt of sin settles on, act upon it. Because once the spirit of God determines that you've had ample opportunity and withdraws that conviction, there's no guarantee that it will come back again. I, I cannot as a pastor and I cannot as a Christian and you cannot as a Christian demand that God speak to my heart. I can seek him. I can long for him. And he's longing for me. I understand the principle. God's always there. He always wants to reach out. But there comes a point in time when God says enough's enough. I had a boy, I had a boy one time at the boys home when I was leading it. And he had a problem with lying. He was very talented. Uh, and and it, 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 uh, to this day, I regret my decision. I think it's one of the worst decisions that I made in the five and a half years that I led that ministry. But I got to the point with him where I, I, I just, I had to break the line. Because it was starting to infect some of the other kids. Uh, and he, we were at church one day and he comes in and I, and I ask him a question that I already knew the answer to which most leaders do that, by the way, just so you know, most leaders don't ask questions that they don't already know the answer to, especially if they're dealing with a problem area uh, in someone's life. Uh, and so it's really a test to see how honest you're gonna be. Uh, and that's what I did to him. And, and so uh, I just said, and I asked him, and he lied. And I said, and, and he would do that regularly. And then he came back again and I said, now wait a minute, stop. I said, don't lie to me. I don't know how much trouble you think you're going to, it really wasn't even that big of a deal. The problem was the lying. I said, don't lie to me. If you lie to me, we're done. I'm putting you on a bus tomorrow and sending you home. And he lied. And then he turned around and he got to the front door and he realized I was serious and he turned around and he came back. And I said, no, it's too late. We're done. And I sent him home. Now, I was wrong to send him home. But I was right to call him on his line. But at that point, I, it, it was like, if I give in, he's not going to get it. I'm just saying this morning that, that God's merciful. But his, merciful, his mercy is not to an individual without limit. At some point, if I resist him. Now, it's one thing if I'm seeking casually. But when I become rebellious in my heart, when I put up my hands and I say, God, I'm not going to respond to you. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm treading on dangerous ground. And so Uzziah finds himself with an opportunity to repent. And he doesn't. He gets angry. And he clings to uh, what his flesh wants. And he gets leprosy. And he dies a leper. Now I want you to understand, and I'm going to give you the, the, the points of the outline here. But I want you to notice what this triggers. His father was a good king. You have to understand, Israel never had one single good king. 
Judah had a few. And at this point they have uh, succession. So Uzziah's father was good. Uzziah did well. Notice Jotham in chapter 27. And Jotham was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name also was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people yet did corruptly. So now Uzziah has started a generational problem. Uzziah followed his father, and then he had his own problems. But he didn't repent. I don't think that he ever repented because of what we see in Jotham's life. You can disagree with me on that if you want. That's just my opinion, uh, just looking at this quickly. Uh, but, but here's Jotham. Jotham does right in the sight of the Lord in many areas, but his bitterness against his father's leprosy kept him from ever going to worship God at the temple. So, pastor, but he still did right. He did. And then he dies, and then his son Ahaz takes the throne. Chapter 28. Notice Ahaz. And Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. Notice in verse number 3. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel in verse 2. Israel never had a good king. So he goes to an extreme opposite. Verse 3. Show you how far he went. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he burned his children in the fire. Hinnom was a literal valley, but Hinnom is also indicative or a picture of hell and the lake of fire. And you see that even into the New Testament. He burns his own children. He offers his own children a sacrifice to idols. So you go from a good king to a good king that won't repent when he's wrong to a good king that won't worship God the way God said, worship me to the next generation sacrificing their own children to idols. When things spiral, they spiral quickly. Why is it so important? Listen, the, the, this is a different message. I'm not going to park here, but the sins of the father pass to the third and fourth generation. We're having a conversation with our son David. We uh, had dinner with him last night, took uh, Jules home, and they're reading a book, and I happen to be reading the same book, and so they're asking a lot more questions about generational things and uh, and so we're going through and and they just were like it's really incredible how the gospel has impacted our lives because of how God impacted your generation and and it is and we praise God for that but the fact of the matter is is that I told them I said we were very determined to be the generation that broke that curse and you have to be intentional about that so if you, if you come from a family that's got all kinds of issues, don't let that go unresolved so that it passes to future generations. That's what happens to Uzziah. Now, but as long as he sought the Lord. And that's the point of, uh, of the message and what he said. In verse number five, and he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So... This is going to scare you. Five points here. All right. It's going to scare you because it's already 12 o'clock. <coughs> and so, but we're going to be really quick here. All right. Because this is just application. How does this, what does this look like in my life now? Okay. Number one, as long as I seek the Lord, I have his assistance. Do you want help from the Lord? <coughs> seek him. 
if, I have to recognize that I need his help. I need the Lord. I cannot do this on my own. And as long as I seek the Lord, I have his assistance. Psalm 46 and verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's not when trouble comes, if I'm seeking him out there where I can't find him. He's a very present help. He's right here, right now, longing to help you. Now, Pastor, I'm really struggling with depression today. I'm really struggling with this addiction today. I'm really struggling with my thought life today. I'm really struggling in my relationships with a brother, sister in Christ today. He is a very present help. He's right here, right now, wanting to help you. Not only that, Psalm 124 verse 8 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You don't miss that. My help is in the name of the Lord. Oh, well, that's nice. No, I don't understand. He made heaven and earth. In other words, God is more powerful than my problem. Amen. God has the strength to get me through whatever it is that I'm dealing with. God is there seeking, desiring to help me if I'll seek him. It's number two this morning. When I seek the Lord, I have ability. He gives me ability. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. When I'm doing God's will for my life, it doesn't matter whether or not I feel qualified. If I'm yielded to God and seeking God, God will do it through me. Oh, pastor, I don't know what to say to that person that came to me for help. Listen, if you're in the will of God and you're yielded to God and you're seeking God, God will give you what you need to get the job done. It's not about me. It's not about qualifications. It's not about degrees. It's not about, and all of those things are good things. I'm not knocking them. I'm saying when I'm winning the will of God, God makes up the difference. God does for me what I cannot do on my own. I have ability that I do not have in and of myself when I'm walking and seeking, walking with and seeking God. So man, pastor, I'm just, I'm beat up this week. I'm trampled down this week. I just, I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed by all of the demons of my past and this week and I just can't breathe. You're right. You can't, but he can. And instead of seeking a solution, seek the Lord because the Lord is the solution and you'll never find the solution outside of God. You might find a temporary reprieve. You might find a, a, a temporary ability to draw down deep within yourself and, and to suck it up and to get through it. But that's not a solution. Don't treat the symptom, solve the problem. Amen. And so I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. It's just a routine physical thing. I haven't, had, I haven't gone since before COVID. And I finally just got to the point where, you know, I, I'm getting old enough now. I really probably ought to at least see what a doctor thinks about where I am in life and if I'm going to live for another four or five years or not. Uh, and so, uh, or if there's anything going on. So I finally, I, when I got sick last week and I was at the, or last month and I went to the doctor, uh, I went ahead and made an appointment and, uh, and doomsday is tomorrow. Uh, and so, uh, so I've got to go in there. Uh, and I, but the reason that I have my doctor, the doctor that I chose is because he's not a pill pusher. I don't like pills. I like Nexium. I have a really bad life without Nexium. Nexium's my friend. I like Tylenol uh, when I have a really bad headache. And I, I like uh, Aleve if I've got some muscle aches and 
uh, and, and soreness from, uh, from doing more physical activity than I should at my age, uh, especially if I haven't been doing it in a while. Uh, those things I, I like on a limited basis. But beyond that, oh, you need some, some uh, medicine for your blood sugar or you need uh, some medicine for your blood pressure. No, I don't. I just need to lose some weight and get active. Amen. <coughs> Watch it, Chad. <laughs> and so I, 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 want, I, don't, I don't want a doctor that's going to tell me, hey, you've got all this going on. Let me just give you these pills. It's going to magically make your problems go away. Pills aren't a solution. They're temporary. And too many of us have the idea uh, that, that, that our relationship with God is just, uh, we approach it like it's a temporary fix. That's not what God's about. God doesn't want to temporarily solve your issue. He wants to permanently solve it. You can't, you can temporarily solve it. You can medicate your problems in some way, form, or fashion. But you can't solve them. But he can't. And so we look here, when I, walk, when I seek the Lord, I have ability. I have ability in discernment for defense. And what, what Uzziah did is he did everything that he could do. But God did the rest. He wasn't lazy. He didn't sit back and say, okay, oh man, the enemy's coming. God smite them. No, he, he built his army. He trained them. He gave them the weapons of war that they needed. He was inventive. There, there were things that he made with the catapults and the engines and things uh, that were ahead of this time, uh, that, were, uh, that were innovative and were extraordinary. He was, he was thinking, he was planning, he was making preparation. And so he had discernment for defense. And part of the reason that we get tripped up by our sins so easily is because we lack discernment for defense. Defend your walk with God. Defend your relationship with him. Defend your purity, your morality. Defend uh, the way that you, that your thought life and, uh, and, and defend against depression and defend against all of the things that the world wants and Satan wants to attack us with. Defend against those things. Don't just, just, just put no, no fight up and just lay, roll over and think God's going to come riding in uh, to save the day in your, your moment when you've done nothing. To seek him. Seek him. Be responsible. Be reasonable. Be thinking. But have discernment for defense. Have discernment for provision. He dug wells. We didn't read that particular verse, but it's up in uh, verses 10 through about 14 or so. He, he prepared the army. They dug wells. They, they made provision uh, to, to be able to sustain themselves uh, and to have the food and the water that they needed. And then he had discernment for preparation. It says he prepared uh, and, and, and took care of these things. And so we see that when I, I seek the Lord, I have ability. I have the ability to see things, to make preparation, to be discerning. Uh, then thirdly, consider that I have his approval. Listen, I, I always have God's acceptance, but I don't always have his approval. God will always accept his child. But he doesn't necessarily always approve of what he's doing. If you're an adult, if you have adult children, you understand what I'm talking about. You always love them. You always accept them. You always want to be there for them. But you don't always approve the decisions that they make or the way that they live their lives. Doesn't mean that I don't that we don't love them. Uh, but there's there's just a difference there. I always, uh, when I seek him, have his approval. I always have his acceptance. Proverbs eleven twenty seven says this: that He that diligently seeketh good, procureth favor. Listen, I don't want to be the Christian that lives his life outside of God's favor. I need God's favor in my life. 
I need God's favor uh, and God's leading and God's guidance. And so I have approval. In other words, God uh, accepts and approves of me. I want God's approval. Secondly, I want uh, to be accepted by the godly. I want the approval of the godly. <clears throat> now listen, what, what an individual thinks about me or thinks about as a pastor or thinks about you uh, as a, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher or a believer as part of the body of Christ should not be a determining factor as to what I do and the decisions that I make as God leads. But I do want your approval. You know, if God really lays on my heart that this is something that we got to do, then I've got to plow ahead and I've got to do it. Even if I've got to drag you along with me, kicking and screaming. I did that for 10 years in Arkansas. It was exhausting. I'm so grateful for Victory Baptist Church and that it's not that way. But if, if there's something that's a big enough deal and God lays it on the heart, it's got to be done. But that doesn't mean that as a pastor, I don't want the approval of godly people. And it's not wrong to say, I don't care what anybody thinks. That's foolish. Because if godly people, if, I'm, if, if we're behaving, if we're interacting with one another in a way uh, that, that godly people are not approving of, there's a problem. I don't care about the approval of the wicked. I don't care about the approval of this world. I don't care about the approval on the outside. I don't want to be uh, cantankerous and I don't want to be provocative and I don't want to be uh, someone that's like goes out and stirs up the pot rather than tries to show the love and the grace and mercy of God. But I really, I'm not going to make decisions based upon what uh, the lost world says. Our decisions and our ultimate person that we want to please is the Lord. But if God's pleased, then the brethren ought to be pleased as well. And so we ought to desire the approval of uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and so, but ultimately, if we have God's approval, then we'll have all the approval that we need. Then fourthly, consider that I, as long as I seek the Lord, I will have an adversary. Yeah. You will have an adversary. Yeah. The more that you seek the Lord, the more that you let God work in your life, the more that you yield and surrender to him, the more problems you're going to have. So, Pastor, I'm trying to get close to God so that I can get rid of my problems. You're going to have problems no matter what you do. That's just life. I can either have problems that destroy me or I can have problems that God comes in and helps me with. I'm going to have an attack. I'm going to attack myself. Satan's forces are going to attack whether I'm serving God or not. They're going to, they're going to do what they can to keep me away from God. I, you might as well just realize that, that, that life is short. And as the way Job put it, uh, man that is born of woman, his days are short and full of troubles. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Life is hard, but God is good. And I have to understand this morning that I, if I do what's right and if I walk with God, I will have an adversary. Satan will attack me. Don't let that discourage you. It's evidence that you're, that you're getting closer to the Lord. Amen. And so there's just, you know, sometimes we look at, man, I'm under attack and I'm just, oh, woe is me. I can't bear this. No, no, don't be upset about it. Get excited about it. But I'm under attack. Why would I be excited about that? Because God is greater than the enemy. Amen. And because it means that you're doing something that's pleasing to God. Because if God wasn't pleased, then Satan wouldn't worry too much about it. And so I have an adversary and then expect an ambush. Remember we talked earlier about it's the problems that catch us off guard. Yeah. 
that really get us in trouble, that really allow us to be brought into a, a bad, uh, to respond improperly. Expect the ambush. Expect for Satan to be cunning, to be sly, to be stalking you, uh, to be uh, trying to have his way and wreak havoc in your life. We were in Colorado a couple weeks ago. I went into the pastor's office there and he was really proud. He had the skull of a bobcat that he had just killed. And uh, he showed me a video of the hunt. And he said, uh, we killed three bobcats that night. And, and uh, he was having it mounted. And he said, but, he said, it's the most terrifying night that I've ever spent in the woods because there was a cougar that was hunting them. And so they were calling in predators. It was a predator hunt. Uh, and so everything was legal. Uh, and so he said, when we got there, that cougar came into the, into the picture and it just started walking toward us. And we didn't have a tag for the cougar. Uh, and so, but, uh, but it, was, it was coming right at us. And so we shot into the air and it just kept coming. And then we would shoot into the ground right in front of it. And then it got about 30 yards and they said, the next one, we have to kill it. Uh, and then they shot one more time at about 30 yards at its feet. And it finally just turned around and walked away. He said it was terrifying. Listen, Satan will stalk you. I was sitting on the porch having coffee out there one morning. And uh, it was awesome because it was about 45 degrees. I'm, I'm looking up in the tree and there's uh, right in the field in front of me, there's a red-tailed hawk sitting up in that tree. And then a second one flew in and my wife and daughter were getting ready to go to town. And I'm sitting there reading and drinking my coffee and uh, a couple of deer, a couple of mule deer walked up in the next field down and, and uh, they left. And I wanted to get a good picture of this mule deer, but they're, you know, the deer are just deer. They're really hypersensitive about movement and sound. So I got in the grass instead of the gravel and I was trying to stalk that deer just to get close enough to get a really good picture. And so I was doing great. I was right on the fence line. I was in the grass. It would pop its head up and I would just stop and wait, not move, put its head back down and relax again. And then I'd get a couple more steps closer and then it would do, and we were just repeating this. About the time I got about five yards from where I was trying to get, that one of those red-tailed hawks started squealing. And then I took another step and that hawk kept screaming and took off and flew right over the deer, screaming right over top of it to warn it. And the other one stayed in the tree and just kept screaming the whole time. I got right behind the tree where I wanted. I just needed to step out and the deer finally got the idea and kind of ran off. And I got a couple of fairly decent pictures, but not quite as good as I wanted. But I, I was just trying to sneak up and stalk patiently. And I spent about 15 or 20 minutes trying to get close to this thing. Don't think that Satan won't stalk you. Don't think that he won't sneak up on you. And the word of God and your pastor and your Sunday school teacher and your friends in Christ are screaming, trying to warn sometimes. Don't just put your head back down. Listen, God loves you. And God puts us in, the in his body so that we have that for each other, that we can help one another, that we can rely upon one another because we have an adversary. If you're seeking the Lord this morning, I promise you, trouble's coming. But your God is greater. And I also promise you this. If you choose not to seek the Lord, trouble's coming anyway. You might as well have some trouble that, that God's involved in solving. Rather than just the troubles of life. And then lastly this morning, as long as I seek the Lord, I have affliction when I seek not. When I stop seeking him, I have affliction. What happened to Uzziah? 
goes into the altar and, and offers that, that altar of incense. He stopped seeking the Lord. He started trying to do things in his own power instead of God's way. He tried to do things his way instead of in the way that God ordained. And when we get to the point where we just say, okay, I've been doing great. I've got this figured out. Okay, Lord, I can handle this one. We're in trouble. He said, I have affliction when I seek not. Why am I afflicted? Because I'm without help. I'm afflicted because God's not there to help me anymore. He's there. But he's just thinking, okay, you think you got this? You got it. My kids are growing up, especially my boys. For some reason, and, and I don't know why, but they just always seem to have to learn everything the hard way. They're just determined. They're not going to listen to dad. Now, they did in a lot of things. But then there are other things, and I'm just thinking, you know, I could have saved you a whole lot of grief if you just listened to me. Uh, and so, but they get to be adults and they, they got to figure things out on their own. And it's just like, you know, I was here, but I didn't say anything. I mean, I didn't even like offer a protest. I was just like, they're telling me what's good, what they're going to do. And I'm just biting my tongue. And I'm thinking in my heart, please ask me what my opinion is. Please ask me how this is going to turn out. Please let me help you. But they didn't. And I didn't say a word. And come to find out, 18 months later, six months later, two years, three years later, they've come around to, in some cases, what I would have told them. And they, they got there, but they had to get there the hard way. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that has to get where God wants me to be always the hard way. I, I'd like to get there sometimes on the most direct and, and the least problematic path as possible. I have affliction when I don't seek the Lord. Why? Because I don't have his help. He's there. He loves me. He's waiting for me to ask. But I have not because I ask not. And the effects of neglecting to seek the Lord can become permanent. I'm not saying that they're always permanent, but sometimes they are. In Uzziah's case, he became a leper until he died. I don't want to have my life marred. It's marred enough already because of my sin. I don't need it marred further because I wouldn't listen to God or seek him. Seek him. He loves you. Seek him. He's powerful. Seek him. He'll forgive your sins. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning and, if I, and you were asked, do you know without any doubt that when you die, you're going to heaven? If there's any question, seek him. He has the power to save you. If you're defeated, seek him. He has the power to lift you. Seek him. Are you seeking him?